Hello and welcome to Drummers Only Radio. Drummers Only is a specialist drum shop started by drummers for drummers. With two locations, Glasgow and Leeds, we stock everything you need for your drumming journey. I'm Chris, the shop manager for Glasgow. And I'm Adam, the social media manager for the Drummers Only brand. This podcast will be interviews, reviews and much, much more from the unique perspective of a drum shop. So like, subscribe and feel free to get involved. Hello! Hello! Welcome, Drummers Only Radio, episode 29. And who is our guest this week, Christopher? Uh, it's none other than Mr. Steve White. Steve what? Legend that is Steve White. Um, yep. Steve, if, if you don't know who Steve is, um, if you're a younger drummer and perhaps aren't hip to who this man is, he is a, a drumming legend. Yes. Uh, he played, he started his career with uh, a band called The Style Council and then was Paul Weller's mainstay for... A long time. He's played with the Who. He's played with Oasis. He's played with the Stereophonics. Yeah, Larue. A whole bunch of stuff. Whole bunch of folk. And he's just recently brought out a new book. He has. He? You're right. The book's called The Art of Drumming. He's a. He's Steve has been an educator for a long, long time as well. A clinician and a wonderful, wonderful teacher. So and a wonderful, wonderful person. Absolutely, it was a great conversation. Um, I think, it, do you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb and I think and say I think it's maybe my favourite yet. Oh, controversial! I know, and I'm sorry to uh, the sorry the rest to of past the guests. guests. <laughs> uh, but no, I, 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 I've been looking forward to being able to get to talk to Steve for a while. Yes, absolutely. Um, this was a lovely conversation. Place. Yeah, um, a couple of tech things. Uh, apologies because it was on Skype and the video perhaps doesn't look as good as it could have, and there was maybe the odd sync thing. We did our best with editing, but uh, yes. yes. Uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Steve. And enjoy, guys. Enjoy. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello, mate. How how are you? I'm really good. Great to talk to you. It's been a while. I know. <laughs> Mania. The world's gone mental. Crazy. Yeah, basically. I think I think that's a fair assumption. You know, um, we, we've just stuck it out in our little uh, leafy suburb of southeast London, and and just tried to pretend that. It was all normal. Feel like a carry-on film. <laughs> totally. You're, you're not. You know the you know the, you know the carry-on up the Kyber one where they're taking or, or the they're being attacked and they're just sat there having their dinner. That's kind of how I felt about the last few months. Just sat there having my soup and stuff and just going, What's going on. It's incredible. Brilliant. You just kind of have to get on with it, don't you? There's just no way around it. Um. Yeah. It's it's kind of what it is, and and uh, you know it, it was being. If we're talking about it, it was being telegraphed to me by people, friends, very good friends around the world in January and February about what was happening. People from China, people from Italy who were telling me, look, this is happening. This is coming. And so there's no excuse for my books to say that, oh, we didn't really know what we were dealing with. It's like if I was getting messages about this and being told and sent masks and things like that in January by kind friends in China. And um, then, you know, I, I think the government, they, they can't use that one as an excuse. They did know what was going to happen. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, totally. man, absolutely. Yeah. But, I mean, what do you even do about it? You know, you just you just feel so kind of helpless about it, you know? Yeah, and, you, you know, I think that... Um, We've learned a lot about ourselves, about how important connectivity is, um, you know, uh, that, that maybe we don't need quite a lot of the things that we sort of felt that we needed just on tap all the time. Maybe 
it slowed the planet down a little bit in in obviously not in great ways economically and in terms of suffering but in other ways you know the environment's had a little chance to to reboot and yeah. you know um so i, I don't know we're, we're just we're, we're we are where we're at and unfortunately in our business we are um you know basically reliant on the fact that people get together and shout at each other and hit things and and drink and 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 talk nonsense and have a good time and that's the so unfortunately that's the one place where this thing seems to lurk best yeah for sure i mean talk about timing you just brought a book out you were meant to be coming up i know you know so yeah, it, it, it was like i remember um seeing russ my the, my co-author and and we we drove down to to russ had like um needed like 150 books that i'd signed and we weren't sure whether we, we were even allowed to go out it was like can we do this are we okay about doing it and we decided to meet at a service station like a couple of dell boys you know <laughs> and and by you know i i you know I, I pulled in and lifted the the boot of my car up and russ lifted the boot of his car up and a police car pulled up and the, the guy literally was like what are you doing and we're like mate we just just it's some books and he went it's okay don't worry about it oh man uh, so, so uh, i just went home and we never went out for like three months it was crazy yeah so, but we we had a a really really strong online demand for it which was lovely um the sales were you know went pretty well um and with the book i i i you know it's not going away so mm -hmm. when it's safe to do so um, and, and we're not going to get disturbed and, and told that we've got to all go back indoors. Um, I'll be up and we'll just pick up where we, we kind of left off. You know, there was Absolutely. a lot of things like coming up to see you guys and going over to Ireland to do the um, uh, to do the Galway Drum Festival and Freddie G. And one by one, these things like so many drummers were just being ticked out, ticked out the diary. It's like, that's gone. That's gone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what what was the impetus? Why, why a book now? And, you know, digital demand is so big. But I love the old school vibe of that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously, I've kept up. Um, uh, one of the things I've been doing in the lockdown is, is on my YouTube channel. Mm. I've been doing these kind of lo-fi sessions, which um, mm. have been a lot of fun to do. It's kind of, sort of a bit like this. It's me with the drum kit, and I've managed to master Logic, believe it or not, after get, trying to get connected with our Skype. Um, I've managed to master Logic, and, and uh, I've got a, a, an interface with all my kit going through the interface and a really lovely uh, Lavalier mic. So I've been doing these little sessions that mm -hmm. from my drum room, you know, which you mm. can see now. Mm. And they've been going down an absolute storm, you know. So, And I've called them lo lo the lo-fi sessions because I, I don't want to refer to lockdown that because I think that is going to date us so much next year. People are not going to want to hear those two words next yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. So, I call them the lo-fi sessions, and I've just been on the kit talking about tracks that are in the book. Mm. And I think it's it's lovely, you know, to have the um, the digital demand. But I do know that obviously, you know, the people that have followed my career, I've been lucky enough to have followed my career, are into something a little more physical. So that's mm. why we wanted to do the book. And yeah. there's nothing quite like it. I mean, I, I love my digital content, but there's nothing like you know, I'm, I'm sort of turning pages yeah. over. A, and, and and putting them on a music stand um i don't think that's being sort of uh luddite i just think it, it kind of works for me I, I i can't stand scrolling for an ipad trying to find one of my you know stick control or something like that i'd just mm. rather open up a copy and put it on a music stand you know yeah absolutely 
I guess that's my thing, you know, it, it's, uh, uh, you know, one foot very firmly in where I came from, but also trying to trying to keep up with what's going on and listening to new music, you know, that's that's part and parcel of the, of the whole journey, really. Mm. How have yeah. you adjusted to trying to work out the, the YouTube machine? Like, do you find it weird talking to a camera? Yeah, um, I think that that my experience um, a year or so ago doing the art of drumming, where um, I was, you know, kind of thrust into this sort of uh, situation where you 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 are presenting the show, Steve. By the way, <laughs> it was really like I had to sort of take some lessons off my wife and mm. about camera technique. I, you know, she she <laughs> she has a photographic memory, pretty much almost for scripts. So wow. she was giving me tips and she was telling me you know, this is what you should do and how you deliver and just talk slowly and remember not to swear and things like that. And so I, I did a fair bit of practice for it. And for the for the, the lo-fi videos, which are pretty much in real time, um, I, I just have a um, some cheat sheets with like pointers about what I want to talk about. And and I just go on a little bit of a journey, you know, and it is it is all quite relaxed and, and, and you know, quite fun. Um, and then I send it off to Eki because there's a three a three man sort of um, team with the whole art of drumming and what mm. I do online. It's uh, Russ Tarley, who's the, mm. my co-author and yeah. the, the bloke that kicks me up the backside of that work. <laughs> um, and then Richard Eccleston, Eki, who's very very well known within the drum business, and he does all the visuals. So I, I think you know, I think what, what a, dr a lot of drummers kind of possibly realized that when the, the lockdown happened was like oh right one i'll just go online and teach mm. and, and two i'll just start a youtube channel and mm. it's not as easy as that it yeah. really isn't and you know uh, there's still we're, we're all we're all you know teaming and zooming and skyping but none of these platforms are designed for music no. so you know even i've got a, a you know i'm still using the internal mic on the computer because it's the best one in terms of um just levels i've got a road usb i've got the focus right the lavalier mic mm -hmm. but you know it's really difficult to go from talking to starting playing the drums without it all going yeah. crash 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 yeah so so that's been that's been a real kind of learning curve for me. Um, I found things that do work really well, uh, you know. And ironically, with all my students, um, because I, I basically had a quite a big commitment to my Trinity Laban students, my percussion students. Where I've got twelve students there, I really had a commitment to them to keep working. So. Um, I had to get a new internet put into the drum room because the, the old one wasn't good enough and just work so that I could carry on teaching. So I didn't really do much in my, hey, I'm online teaching mm -hmm. because, because of my students. And what I really worked out was, you know, we've, we've got lemons, let's make lemonade. So I, I used the opportunity to forward like every day, you know, throughout the sort of first three months of lockdown, myself and my colleague, Mick Doran, who teaches in, and Callum Huggan. Who oh, was, I know Callum. Yeah, yeah, Callum was part of our WhatsApp group. He teaches at Trinity. And we were just feeding the the, the boys and girls, like, you know, uh, Ginger Baker in Africa or mm. Art Blakey and Elvin Jones in 1969 yeah. and, and things that are slayed in flame, you know, one of the great music sort of movies. Because at this point, I was like, well, what else are you going to do? You may as well sit and watch this stuff, you know, because probably you won't get a chance to do this again. Mm -hmm. And it is the perfect opportunity to really work on your hands. So, you know, you've all got a pad, you've all got sticks. 
I'm going to send you PDFs of stick control. I'm going to send you all uh, accents and rebounds. I'm going to send you the rudimental ritual. I'm going to send you um, uh, Joe Morello's master studies. So for me, we, we were able to kind of turn the clock back a little bit um, because, you know, whenever you I, I was privileged to talk to people like Louis Belson as, a, as a, a younger drummer. And Louis used to say, well, you know, I used to practice 12 hours a day when I was on my school holidays. <laughs> I go, what? You know, and you can see that in his ability. But the thing is, is, is at that point, Louis had very little to distract him. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the TV was even in America was limited. And to a certain degree, that was the same when I was a, a, a young drummer. There wasn't endless distractions with Fortnite and um, play, Playstations and, and millions of channels. We had the, the telly, you know, and you watch the telly and it went off at 11 o'clock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a lot more time was spent, you know, probably just just working on the basics so I said, if, if there's anything that we can do in this time that we've now got, let's sort your hands out. Let's really set goals about technical improvement that we can really um, be very, very confident that we're going to have at the end of this lockdown. Your hands will never be in a better shape. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I sort of took it in a very positive, uh, a positive way. And I think it really worked. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's given me insight into to, to what I know I can do virtually and on, online and what I can't do. And I know there's other drummers, you know, people like Craig Blundell who have embraced this amazingly with his Vivo setup. Mm. But, you know, I saw Craig. We had a, a, a very civilised, socially distanced lunch and a, and a, a glass of something in Soho <laughs> last week, which was wonderful. Both of us, the first time that we'd been out, we went and we, did, we, we, we sat outside and we had a bit of a chat and it was really great. And, I mean, he really invested, as Craig always does. He goes right for it, you know. So mm. he's got a vision mixer and, he's got, you know, he's set it all up on Vivo. And he's getting like 100, 200 people joining his sessions every week, you know, mm. which is phenomenal. So, um, you know, I- I'm kind of very ad- admiring of that kind of um, uh, uh, dedication. But I know kind of what works for me. Um, I've also been able to continue working on some of the soundtrack stuff that I'm doing. because. Oh, we were able, we were supposed to be, um, right now, was supposed to be a series coming out um, on Channel 5 that my wife's production company um, got commissioned. And, and we're, White and Hagen White, which is the, the writing, the band that I'm working with, um, we've written all the music and we were hoping to be releasing that all in September. Mm-hmm. That's obviously not happening now. So it's probably more than likely going to be next summer. So we were able to just carry on writing and, and, and working. And we've got a new single coming out next month. We've decided that we're going to put a, a new record out that's really upbeat. And it's really kind of, you know, it's a really great song. I'm really, really pleased with it. Um, and because, you know, there's, nobody's able to put anything new out. And we've got the infrastructure to, to do it through our little company, Real Movement Music. So that's been really positive. And then, then I managed to turn that on to the B side of it is a um, a play along it's going to be a play along that oh, Yamaha mm. bought into so when i come up you'll get to hear it but the idea is that it's a really great up tempo almost like tower of power type thing wow. and the idea is that i've filmed it and recorded it in real time so you can see me playing it and then basically with Yamaha and on, on, on the YouTube channel, we're going to release um, a, a drumless version of it with a click track, a drumless version without a click track and a click track that you can add into your logic. And um, I think Yamaha want to just have a bit of fun with it and maybe throw it out to some of the younger boys and girls and get them to film themselves doing it. And, 
you know, and that's how you've got to be thinking these days, out of the box. You know, you've mm. got to be thinking, you know, for, for everyone that I know that, you know, sadly was kind of a month into this whole nonsense was saying, oh, when do you think I'm going to be gigging again? And I'm like, I really don't think it's going to be anytime soon. And what you don't want to be is there's an old analogy about like, you know, God forbid if a plane crashes, that there's a st statistic that people that literally kind of take initiatives and get on and try to get away from that plane as quickly as possible tend to have a better chance of survival. And I think that that's the sort of a, something that we've all got to think about now is that at the moment, you know, for, for whatever, for we, we know the reasons that, you know, it's very, very difficult to do what we do and also kind of sustain that, especially mm. if you're into live performance. Mm. So you've got to think out the box. And if yeah. you have to go and do something else for a few months, then it's feed yourself, feed your family. It's, it's you know, there's no, sh there's no shame in it, you no. know. Mm. You no, know, not at all. We're all in the same boat. It, yeah. we're, our job at the moment is kind of on hold. So let's <clears> let's <throat> let's not kind of sit there and kind of go, oh well, you know, let's let's try and get some more money from the government to to, to give us. It's not going to happen. Mm. You know, it, it's it's never been the arts has never been appreciated greatly in in in, in these islands by the people in charge. Mm. Um, so I think we've kind of had what we're going to get, and it will be up to us to work out how we can start to introduce the social distance gigs and then hopefully when medically things get a bit more um settled then we can start doing gigs again but until then it's uh, you've got to find other things to do yeah i think a mate of mine is a a bank manager actually and he's his whole thing has been to his staff which is pretty much universal is you've got to write your own ticket you know, uh, uh, sorry to say, but that's the truth. You know, you just unfortunately same in our game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are we are responsible for selling it. Mm -hmm. You know, no so one's going to do it for you. No, yeah, exactly. they're not going to do it for you. Um, actually, one of your students is a customer of ours, a young guy called Scott McDonald. Oh, Scott! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's been. I was speaking to his mother. He's been loving shedding. Yes, she's like yeah. they converted his his shed literally his shed. And he's apparently was in there for hours, six, seven, eight hours a day, just blasting on, you know. So it's working. Whatever you're doing is is mm -hmm. is working. Scott Scott is one of my goldsmith students who's just graduated, and and he, you know, he saw that opportunity of like, I'm going home. What am I going to do? Right, what have you got? Mm -hmm. And I was right. Let's let's really work on this. And mm -hmm. and you know, it was great because um, he, he would come in and and onto onto Skype, and and he really got it. He really could see yeah. the benefit. Of the, and I'm, I've not got anything else to do. I can't go out. Yeah. And you know, incidentally, I don't know what he, he he got in his final graduation. I'm sure he done really well. But he sent me the most wonderful Stornoway black pudding as a little oh. gift, which was is just awesome. Yeah. So you know, right right where where, where it needed to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's nothing quite like it. Oh, no. it's, it's phenomenal. Um, egg on top, lovely. <laughs> One of the last times I saw you, I got to take a lesson, and I remember it was like an arse kicking. But it was beautiful because it was all fundamentals. That's been a big thing in your game for a long time, eh? Yeah, totally, totally. And, you know, uh, because there's this massive sort of um, part, you know, uh, like and I, I know that, you know, I've been doing it a long time. Mm -hmm. I had a very um, focused uh, desire to, to know, you know, I knew where I wanted my contrib contribution to be. So, you know, scroll that for, forward 
um, to, to, to next week. We've got a documentary premiering on Sky Arts about the Style Council. And it's looking like Style Council um, have got a new compilation coming out. And there's a fair indication that it's going to do really, really well. And what that is, is songs. It's about songs. And that's been my mantra all, you know, throughout my entire career, as much as I've kind of dipped in and dipped out to, um, which I love being part of the drumming community, um, you know, and doing drum events and coming to see you guys and hanging and, and talking and looking. And I love all that. But it's it's like an extension of um, my personal interest because the job in hand for me that has sustained my career for nearly 40 years now is playing on songs. Mm. And, and and knowing how to get the best out of the, stu- the studio side of things and knowing when to shut up and asking about the lyrics and what the lyrics are about. And that, for me, that legacy, um, you know, I, I have different sort of playlists now. And, you know, I have over 700 recorded tracks. Um, it's bonkers. <laughs> yeah, you know, and we're talking, I mean, and I don't do the American BS thing of like being in the same room as an artist and telling them, telling the world that you played with them because, mm. you know, I could put Amy Winehouse on my CV and Ray Davis and the Stereophonics. I don't do any of that. I, it's just the bands that I played with and worked with and, you know, from Dr. John and obviously Paul and the Style Council mm. and, and getting to do The Who and things like that and Oasis and Ocean Colour Scene um, and all the time doing my own stuff and as I say, I feel like you know, I, I'm comp- and the family silver even more recently, mm. which was a bit of a, um, a, 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 a a slap in the face in terms of reality about the fact that, quite simply, once you get beyond a certain age in, in this country, people are generally not really interested in original music. Mm. Um, you know, that's just a fact. They want to hear that. You know, if they're going to go out, they're going to go out with their boyfriend, girlfriend, girlfriend, boyfriend. They are going to want to hear something that they know, have a few drinks, and you know that's that's kind of the nature of the beast it's very rare that you're able to say right we're going to do something completely new and completely different and the audience will bite on that it's it's just Mm. a a bit of a fact so that's when i decided that my love of recording coincided with the fact that my wife sally started a production company and like me has always been part of this um mantra of creating your own work not sitting to wait for the phone to ring Mm the time because it doesn't a lot of the time and i know in the world of facebook and twitter and instagram everybody's doing brilliantly and wonderfully and check this out that's not the case it really isn't that's that's fantasy world in reality there's a lot of rejection there's a lot of you know i didn't get that gig i didn't get a call for that gig Mm. um better create something you know myself because there's nothing happening and i've had periods of that and now i'm I think it's it's brilliant because obviously there's still a an element of a of a, a life in television, whereas just releasing music on its own is very very difficult. Mm. Um, so to combine my love of you know being in the studio and composing and, and trying to be part of the creative process and, and making new music, which is what I absolutely adore, um, moving into the televisual thing has been an absolute. Just felt like the the kind of the, the right thing to do. And as I say, the, my approach is very basic i don't um you know i take the basics i take the rudiments um and i know that that's not popular with some kinds of drummers but i i take them i, I think that you're um you, you know that this using the rudiments musically is something that i really enjoy being able to explore using basics and singles and doubles and subdivisions but you know making a band sound good and, a, and an artist sound good and being able to um really 
have, have had a, a, a good attempt at that studio skill um, because you see some um, uh, phenomenal drummers on social media and you see some phenomenal drummers with, you know, extraordinary technique. But you kind of know that if you were to record them, um, it would sound like a car crash because there's no there's no sort of deference to dynamics. Mm. There's no, yeah. you know, all the subtleties that never get talked about on social media. It's just, uh, you know, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. We all love technique, but what technique has become in, on some elements of, of, of the drum world is if you could imagine a, get hiring a, a, a brilliant craftsperson to come around and do a great job for you, mm -hmm. whether it's a, you know, a, a really intricate electrical job or a plumbing job or something or, a, or some amazing rendering, something you know, very practical. What generally somebody that's really good does is they come round, they, mm. they work from a very clean stool. They don't just chuck all their, toy, their, their tools on the floor and just open for the, to pick the right chisel or, or, or trowel. That doesn't happen. What they do is they pick the right thing for the job and everything is polished and it's clean and it's sharp. And that, for me, is what technique is about, you know, working mm -hmm. on technique. But you don't go in and just throw everything on the table mm -hmm. because no one's interested in that. Yeah. And, you know, some of the some of the songwriters that I've worked with over the years and I can, you know, um, Paul and Noel and and John, John um, Martin, when I did some stuff with him, they they're not really, uh, you know, that interested in drum uh, per se. They like drummers. They love what drums bring to the music. But. When you start going off to, you know, into the realms of, of long drum solos and things mm. like that, they're not interesting. No. No. So, so it's, a, it's a bit of a cul-de-sac that I try to, to tell my students to just be a little bit careful of, of just drums and drumming for drum's sake. Yeah. Because it, it, you've got to have the, the other elements that make you progress, which is music, it's songs, it's bass players and, and guitarists and keyboard players and vocalists. And your contribution to their to their output is what creates the rounded musician, not just a drummer. Yeah, I mean, watching the lo-fi sessions has been an amazing education because you see how you do it musically. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So, like, like uh, I was watching. Is um, my fire air gone out? Is that the name? Yeah, I was watching that earlier. That like. You play that first fill and it wasn't until you explained it was triplets because I heard it as 16th notes the first time I heard it. I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Mm -hmm. you... And it's on beat too. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, and that's, a lot of people have gone, ah, oh, I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do, 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 you do you teach that though? Do you teach people how to how to sneak it in as it were or how to make like the, the doubles and changing man how you you take something really simple that's beautifully musical but it needs technique to execute it does that make yeah it does it does make sense and, and that's what i'm trying to do is to try and sort of uh, you know push across this mantra that that it, it that music comes first and, and your support of the song comes first and we in this country um we produce some of the best song drummers on the planet you know yeah. and america really has a, a a kind of a an edge on us in a certain technical approach because they've been doing it a lot longer but if you look at the the you know the, the drummers um who i love i mean from uh you know from woody woodmansey mm. to uh to, to to ginger to you know all the way up to stephen morris and rennie and mm. and uh you know mm. and henry spinetti and um all of these, and I could go on and on about the 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 the, the joys of and talents of what British drummers mm. bring to the table, and people like Ted McKenna, God rest him, you know, yeah. 
songs they, they play for the song mm. you know and, and and so my sort of thing it always kind of starts from that point of view and then if you're working on your technique um you know you you can start, start to 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 push ideas and if you're confident and um, if you're you know one of the things i do is subdivisions I, I love the whole idea of working with something like joe morello's table of time yeah. being able to take a subdivision quarter note quarter note triplet and um, eighth note eighth note triplet you know 16th note uh, quintuplet sextuplet septuplet yeah. 32nd notes nines tens 11s 12 and then to try to sort of break them up to try and sort of can i do these as doubles now can i do these as paradiddles can i mm. can i you know make and then try to make them musical yeah. and some people do say, well, you know, if you're just thinking about sticking patterns all the time, you're not really creating music. But I think that if you do pay enough attention to the basics, what happens in the same way that you um, learn a language and we're just freeforming in terms of conversation here. And But we still have to learn the basics. So if you're in command of basic language, you eventually can converse. Mm. And I think if you are in charge and very well versed in the basics of drumming, then it makes it easier to converse musically. So you're not thinking paradiddle, paradiddle, double, <laughs> mm. six, four, four. Yeah. You don't, it, it's not like that. It yeah. becomes a conversation. Yeah. So that's why I'm so, you know, and I do think, you know, I'm not a fusion drummer. I'm not a jazz drummer, although I love jazz and I love fusion. I know what I'm, you know, my strengths are playing and supporting songs and supporting pop. And, and, and I know and have learned and worked on the things that really helped me to be a good pop drummer. Mm. And that is being confident. That's being able to play with a click track. That's being able to, uh, b to almost mix your own playing. So, you know, so that when you, you do play I mean, and, and listening to, you know, you listen to a lot, of, I listen to a lot of classic records, but when you do play, you're playing as if the engineer is not going to have to do very much when they put your drums up, you know, mm -hmm. it's not, oh, you know, we need to gate that snare drum or, oh, the, the, the double strokes are not really coming out. And that, again, is a, is a very esoteric skill. Mm. And you listen to all the Motown drummers and you listen to drummers like Steve Jordan and you listen to drummers um, like uh, Keith Carlock. And, and, you know, they have that ability to, to sound almost like they're mixing themselves. Mm. And, and, you know, uh, I mean, you know, Questlove, people like that, you know, um, they, they are masters at that. And that, I think, is, is, is a skill that doesn't get spoken about enough because being able to go in and start that process with the engineer in the room and say, look, these are my drums. You know, how do you think they sound? They sound good in the room. Oh, yeah, they sound really good in the room. That builds a confidence straight away rather than trying to listen to an individual drum for a snare mic in another room. The drums sound good on their own. Well, that, that's a basis. You know, is there enough dampening in the bass drum? Is there too much dampening in the bass drum? Have you got a reference? You know, yeah. I remember working with LaRue and, and she, she came in and she said, I want the drums to sound like um, when you hit the toms, they sound like paper. And I said, OK, have you got like a, a, a musical reference that you can play me? And she put on Young Americans by Bowie and Dennis Davis playing drums. And clearly, I think that they were either heavily compressed drums or possibly concert toms, you know, bottom head taken off, quite heavily gaffered, you know, lots of dampening. So we whipped the heads off, you know, we put some dampening on, some moon gels, and I hit them and it kind of went, 
And she went, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's what I want. So, you know, just being, be, trying to, trying to be um, accommodating and mm. trying to build up that musical rapport. But then, as I say, if you're working on those kind of basics all the time and you're keeping, you know, your chops up, when you get an opportunity to do something like Changing Man, where Paul's like, well, I want like a, I don't want a, a, a random fill. He hated random fills, Paul. He liked sort of a musicality to the fill. So, you know, the quarter note thing, very sort of solid. And when it got to that little um, embellishment, I was able to just do a very relaxed 30 second stroke roll. And that's all it is. It's a 30 mm. second stroke roll for one and a half beats. Mm. And it fitted perfectly. And then straight back to that quarter note. There was no, and I have heard drummers do it, where it's almost like um, leaping off a cliff when you get to that double stroke mm. roll. And, and because they don't, you know, they think, is it in time? Are you just trying to do a almost like a scratch roll, which I'm mm. not. It's just subdivided and mm. it's just 30 seconds. And it's as easy, you know, as anything because I've put the work in to 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 have mm. my tech respond in that way. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that's something that's lost with a lot of younger drummers? Because the reason I say that is because, especially when you talk about recording, like you've got things now like the EAD10, where that kind of does all that self mixing for you. So, like, do you think it's important for younger drummers to learn that kind of thing? Um, I think I think it personally is. Um, and obviously, you know, there are some fantastic young drummers uh, about at the moment. You know, uh, I mean, young to me, people like Jack Pollitt, who I think is awesome. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, you know, there's some really great young players out there. Moses Boyd, you know, we've got a we've got a drummer that's getting played on Radio One, you know, and, and yeah. his album is absolutely fantastic you know so i'm i'm kind of always kind of checking out young younger players and the ones that really you know i think get it um are the ones that will, will work when this this nonsense is all over they'll be the ones that work but because you can't um you know you can't change the fundamentals of it if you're working with a uh you know a singer songwriter and they want to cut something live there it, it's no good going in with the attitude of i can play loud and i can play louder mm. you know that's you've got to think right you know should i be using brushes on this can i you know should i be playing anything could i just play a tambourine could i just say you should just do this acoustically because it sounds beautiful you know these are all traits that are, are you know musicians what musicians do i love the ead i think it's a wonderful piece of kit um i think i think there's things that we could be looking at um to in terms of um maybe sh it's sharing capabilities being able to actually you know i've tried it i've experimented it with it in logic and i think it's a bit kind of uncontrolled in that situation but it's a wonderful piece of kit to just put your headphones on and i'm sure they've sold millions of them in the last couple of months because it's great to kind of sit you know to put like a a scratched um vinyl sort of setting and just play some break beats you know so i love that kind of uh, i love that sort of thing um and and if I, I i as i say i have tried to record with it and I, maybe i'm doing something not quite right but i think if you could get that kind of um uh, real presence from what you're hearing in your ears onto uh, you know a recorded a hard drive or something like that then you know you've got something absolutely amazing because I love affected drums, I love loops, I love samples, I love hip hop, you know I I, I love that whole kind of um, you know I'm not just right it's 22, 13, 16. So you know when when I got sent the EAD it was like wow this is amazing you know yeah. so anything that makes our job easier but the fundamentals are still the fundamentals you've got and you know I mean for me I would just say go on to if, uh, one of the uh, 
one of the streaming services and 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 try and check out like a how blaine um mm. playlist you know there's there is one uh, available and it's eight hours of wow. hit records you know every single one of them yeah. you know you know from nancy sinatra to to frank to to um uh to to the mamas and the papas to the carpenters to simon and garfunkel and eventually as you the more you listen to it you start to hear the man's personality in every single artist that he was born with you eventually start that's how it's gotta be how you know and it is and that's that is a as i say that's a skill that i was able to to really understand and work on by virtue of the fact that there was a lot more work you know to, recording work you know I, I would be making or record called for a, a recording session that paid money actual money um once a week you know every week i'd have a session and and you know and that's that stuff has dried up for me you know that's why i have my online thing that's why mm -hmm. i called drums at home and send tracks out and i've done um i've done an ep recently sort of you know from from home um which as sounds great i mean when people take it away because plugins and effects now you can mix things very very simply and very 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 easily you know that kind of thing is is great and i love that that march of technology and the fact that it's all brought it down it's cheaper i've probably got more technology sitting in front of me than the beatles had when they first recorded sergeant peppers you know in terms of yeah. memory and and you know the possibilities to edit in 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 milliseconds all that kind of thing but you know, you, you can't lose sight of the, the fact that everything stems from a great song, regardless. It, you know, everything comes from a, a good song and, you know, then coming up with a good part that complements the good song. Mm -hmm. And if uh, if you know that, then you, you're kind of onto a good thing as a young player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, you mentioned that you've been at this for quite a while. Five minutes, ten minutes, something like that. Um, yeah. How's your, how's, how's it changed for you? in your career from playing in bands to where we're at now like what and what have you learned across the across the time well the the, the constants are the, the the same is that the music business is um it, it's full of dodgy people it's full of wannabes it's full of you know people that you know think that it's easy mm -hmm. and I, I think that obviously now um the uh, you know with the advent of the internet you know everybody gets a facebook page and they're therefore a promoter and they can put a on, you know yeah. buy a pa and you know yeah. page and then you know you you can put a festival on and that's really not you know there were people that were trying to do that back in the day so that kind of <laughs> not changed it's just it's just easier um i still say that you know that the constants are that you know m music musicians will always outperform drummers you know whether the musician plays the guitar or plays the drums or plays the bass or plays the keyboards the musician will always outperform the individual musician it needs to come together and be recognized to come together yeah um obviously streaming um you know has changed has changed the goalposts massively mm -hmm. um financially you know obviously uh, where where it was easier to sustain a, um, a career to say from the age of 16, I'm a professional drummer. What else do you do? Nothing. I just play the drums, you know? 
And and I think that we went through a period um, from the, 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 the late 60s, early 70s, you know, where being able to make a living as a musician became relatively easy comparatively to now. Mm-hmm. Um, it was easier. There was more work. If you wanted to play, you know, I could go and play at the local Irish club, Labour club, Conservative club, Liberal club, doing, you know, just band stuff, just dance stuff, you know, that people would want to dance to. Hits of the day which is where I really learned my trade in terms of playing songs. And, and there was just a lot more work about, you know, mm, and, mm. and that I think has changed. And obviously, um, you know, but what I see with younger musicians now is that they don't, um, they've never known any different. So th- that's, this is now their world. So I know some fabulous young musicians who design t-shirts and, and, and are working in fashion and fa- fabulous musicians who are, web designers and, and are making visuals as well and so you know this this um concept of i'm a professional musician as john lord said very very succinctly and accurately we were a bunch of white guys that were very lucky mm. and, and you know taking black music essentially which was you know the influence of the blues on deep bands like deep purple and the stones and to a certain degree the beatles and turning it into this new book this wow you know we're going to take the world over with music and we're going to you know we're going to we're going to push elvis out the way and we're going to do it and we're going to write our own songs so that book was just being written all the time you know and then bands like led zeppelin coming along and Mm. people like peter grant saying actually i think there's more money to be made for the band here if we do this and if we start merchandising and so there was a there was a kind of a juggernaut that kind of has, has, has gone now, you know, mm-hmm. streaming. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. If you call yourself a professional musician, then you have to take regard to making money. But making making music is not all about making money. And, and, I, and I, I've been saying to, you know, to younger musicians or even some musicians of my age group, look, just because you can't pay the bills paying music at the moment, that doesn't mean to say that you can't make music. Most people that pick up an instrument globally, you know, you talk, you go across Asia, you go across Africa, you go to the Far East. Most people that pick up an instrument do not pick up an instrument with the intention of, oh, I'm going to make 200 quid today. They pick it up with the intention of, I'm going to really enjoy this. I'm really going to love it. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to re we have no choice. We have to re- need to reacquaint with that factor about what music is about. It's something that enriches your soul and brings something very uh, tangible in a good way to life. And and if you know, on the back of that, you you can carve a a, a, um, a, a a living, then that's absolutely fantastic. I mean, I was with my daughter last night, and she was telling me about a somebody that went to, I believe, the school that she went to, who has been picked up by the Canadian rapper artist Drake and kind of um, has been pushed forward, this young lad from South London. And he's he's got 49 million views on his YouTube channel. Wow. And, you know, and we forget about that because obviously as I get older, you know, I'm sort of in the category of listening to young people's music and going, turn that noise down. Have you never heard? <laughs> Have you not heard of Oasis, you know? <laughs> Proper, proper band, you know what I mean? Because that's 25 years old now. Yeah. And, you know, what's going on with grime and drill and, and you know, all, all this kind of stuff that, that is very much online, whether we like it or not, is is there. And, it, and, and, and I think that with a lot of um, younger musicians, they don't have a... The, the the need to feel that they need to justify themselves in, in the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, because 
you know, if you if you're able to put music out and you, you're 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 able to create music yourself and you're creating lyrics and you're programming beats, you can put that out yourself now. Yeah. And mm-hmm. rather than that, you know, trying to get that kind of music signed to a record label, a major record mm-hmm. label, is almost impossible. They, you know, the majors come along when the scene's over, like they did with punk, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's not changed. It's generally, I'd like to think it might have changed, but generally back in the day. It was always fairly middle class white guys, you know, <laughs> and the music business. Yeah. And, and I'm pretty much sure if you went to the top of the major three, there's probably a middle class white guy still running it. Do you know what I mean? So mm. that's not changed. Um, it is tough. It's a tough living to to. Um, it's a tough living. It's a tough thing to 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 do as a, to choose as a profession. But then you know, going down a coal mine and working on a a pit face all day mm-hmm. that's hard work you know yeah. working on assembly line you know uh, go working in any job that you that you don't enjoy doing that that's a tough call because one of the things my dad said to me was if you know which i really took took to heart was if you enjoy what you do for a living you never have to work mm-hmm. so that was like so I've kind of gone back down that route. And to be honest, there's absolutely nothing I could do now anyway. So, <laughs> you know, I would turn me out gardening. And, and I quite fancy getting a van and going around and being one of these people that fixes all your IKEA stuff up for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is a gap in the market. Absolutely. I can, I can do that, you know, and, and then maybe just do a little jazz gig on the evening now and then. Mate, I think you've just nailed it. I think that's the career for everybody. Yeah. Just, yeah. just that IKEA, you know. I, I love doing stuff like that. You know, it's like, right, clear the decks. Let's get the box out. <laughs> Let's read the instructions. Yeah. You know, where's my screwdriver? Bit of WD-40 on it. Love anything like that. So, uh, Speaking of, Stevie, are you free this, like, tonight? Because I've got something that needs built up. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm, I'm, I'm like a bullet. Two hours. Done. Brilliant. <laughs> Apart from the one sideboard that apparently is absolutely horrendous, and people that do this for a living find it really difficult. Uh, well, that's your challenge, except today. Yeah. So then, I mean, how did you stay away from things like the pitfalls of the industry, all the bad shit? You know, because you, I mean, you started as a young lad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I started professionally making money, uh, doing it for a living when I was fourteen, and uh-huh. uh, you know, and then I joined the Style Council when I was seventeen. Um, I, I guess for me, you know, and I, I do feel incredibly lucky that I had good family behind me. I had family that, you know, I mean, I do remember, um, you know, my parents sort of setting out a very strict, look, you've got to be careful of this. And it's only what mm. I've done with my with my own children, hopefully, um, you know, just saying don't don't be easily led, you know, make your own decisions. Don't be pushed into things that you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Being absolutely brutal I saw the devastating effect that cocaine had on musicians that were older than me when I got into the music business at 17. And I was looking around at music musicians that were 22, 23, 24, and things were not beginning to go mm. too well. And, and that was very, very, um, a very simple lesson to take on board is like, stay clear of that crap. Mm-hmm. And to be absolutely perfectly honest, I've been around situations where there, there have been lots and lots of drugs and, and, and I've always just i've never ever partaken i've just never mm-hmm. done it mm-hmm. um i was i didn't really you know i wasn't really a big boozer i always you know was quite worried about the idea of going on stage you know this is my insecurity because mm-hmm. uh, i've worked that hard i want to be good when i get on stage mm-hmm. because we mm-hmm. spoke about you know natural nature over nurture and i you know openly admit i don't think i'm the most naturally talented drummer mm-hmm. in the world there are far more yeah 
know, people like Mark Mondesi and Gary mm. Husband, uh, you know, their, their, their spirit flows through the drums, you know, and, and I used to have, to, I still have to work hard at it. So if I've had a couple of pints, it, it goes to, mm. it, it, yeah. People, yeah. You know, it goes a bit wrong. So so booze never really became part of the um, equation, you know. Um, so that was a, a lucky a lucky thing for me. And then when I was about 18, it was quite late. I, I got into doing martial arts. So I got ah. into doing Kung Fu. And I did that for six years. And my boys are um, four grades off getting their black belts in Taekwondo. They're working really hard. And, and that's the, the, the one non-negotiable for them. They will, they will attain a black belt and they will know how to defend themselves and they will be wonderful human beings for it. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And that was always something that I, I had the confidence uh, with. Um, I don't know. And then, you know, as, as I say, I, I really loved the, the, the idea of um, not waking up in a city with a massive hangover and, and not being able to go and see, you know, something about that city. So for 25 years, it really, really worked for me. And I loved it. And, and I got to see so much of the world. And, and it, the more that I did it, the more it became addictive. So I'd, I really would get to see stuff when I went to Bilbao. I'd go to the Guggenheim Museum or, or I'd go, I'd find out San Francisco, where's the best Italian? Where's, where's the mm. best city? Let's go there. Let's do this. Let's do that. And a lot of musicians end up in this kind of fog of like hangover, gig. Oh, shall I have a drink? Yeah, I will because mm. I can't sleep. Hangover, gig. Oh, I don't like this anymore. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that kind of... I was able, I, I guess, with a, a degree of discipline, um, and I was very much looked after when I joined, you know, joined the band, the Style Council, because Paul was 25, you know, I was 17, Mick was 25, Kenny, the tour manager, was 30, so they're all, you know, older than me, and they did. They were like, yeah, you know what, mate, you don't really want to do that, or I would leave that, or yeah, yeah. that, that's fun. But so I got a good grounding. And then, you know, I, I began to enjoy the fruits of the labor. I just thought, you know, I'm my own person. Mm -hmm. I don't need to be the last, you know, all these cliches, like having to be the last person in the bar and, you know, and, and, and get the shots in and, and, and all that kind of thing. It just never, it never happened for me like that. I just had the confidence to say, well, I'll have a drink. I'm going. Yeah. You know, the pitfalls never became part of the process. Yeah. I remember Gerald Hayward talking. We we had Gerald Hayward on a clinic and that old thing where drummers lose the gig on their day off. Yeah, yeah. You know, next next thing you know, you've got no gig to go to. Mm -hmm. to totally. And I mean, we always we were quite measured. I mean, because you know, buried in mind, we had the Style Council, which was you know eighty three to eighty nine, but with fairly lengthy sort of gaps. But then we had the the, the Weller solo years when it was doing the upwards trajectory and that was um seven years you know we were on the road pretty much for seven years you know um and people you know you forget about that you forget that wow you know and we would be doing the same get towns and we'd do we'd be doing manchester and we'd be playing a you know a, a reasonably small gig at the uni or something and then the next time we'd be doing oh the apollo you know and then it would be five nights at the apollo and then it would be Two nights at GMX? Wow, you know, this mm -hmm. is... And it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And that was amazing to see that sort of um, snowball just kind of unfurl. And, God, you know, there's no secret. Paul was quite hedonistic at that time, you know, the whole Brit Britpop time. And mm. obviously, you know, the same thing for Alan. Alan joined Oasis and, mm. you know, those boys wore their drugs... <laughs> they, they wore their drugs on their sleeve. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> 
I, I remember an amazing night after an Oasis concert, sat at Cameron House, you know, just yeah, outside. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Where, the, yeah, where um, uh, Paul Gascoigne had one of those, those beautiful villas on stilts that are in the grounds of Cameron House. And him and Liam Gallagher sat in the bar, seeing who could order, order the most expensive drink, wine or whatever, and then deciding to order room service fresh prawns and see who could order the biggest plate. So kind oh. of sat up watching uh, Liam and Liam and Paul go head to head over very expensive wine and prawns was you know that's that's quite those kind of events were quite they were fun. It was, yeah. it was but my brother <laughs> behaved himself too. I, I you know Bob Armstrong when he got the gig God bless him said to Alan um, you know if you if I hear that you're doing cocaine, I'm going to come round and kick you up the fucking ass. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. That was a direct quote from Bob, so excuse the bad language, but... No. That <laughs> um, All right. <laughs> looks, looks like, like you've, you've frozen. frozen. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the, the audio's audio still there, but the video's frozen. frozen. Uh, what's, what's going on? on? Oh, hang, hang on. on. Okay, hang on, I'm coming back. Ah, there, ah, we, there go. we go. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Sorry about that. That's, That's right. Right. Do you know? So, just when you were talking about it, about the whole drugs thing and drinking before you play a gig, like when I was studying in college, that was kind of drilled into us almost from day one. It's just like, listen, if you want to be a professional musician, like this is kind of how it is. You know, don't kind of expect to go on stage with three pints in you and expect to play the same as what you would. You know. Um, and of course there was people in the class who would just be like ah yeah sure no worries and you would see it like you would like you would see the guitarists in the class thinking they were slash and they were playing the wrong key and you know and it's just embarrassing and nowadays like, uh, you're nowadays fucking these things you're you're on the, you're on the internet in five minutes well that's that's the other thing and 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 you know and i do see a i, I do see a um you know, I do understand that, you know, why if you were touring with um, Deep Purple or, you know, or, or Bad Company or Black Sabbath, you know, there wasn't that connectivity. You got to Japan. The first time I went to Japan to, to phone home to speak to my parents, I had to find a telephone box. I couldn't afford to phone from the hotel. I had to find a telephone box that took, you know, I could buy a voucher for just to be able to phone <laughs> my mum, you know. Um, so that connectivity, and that can be quite lonely, you know, especially, mm. uh, you know, if you're doing that constantly and you go back to a hotel room and you, you turn the TV on and it's all in Japanese and you're kind of sat there thinking, I, I don't want to go to bed here. And, you know, so, the, you know, the fact that, you, you know, being disciplined, it, it's, it, it's hard. It really mm. was hard. And I, you know, I, I missed endless parties where I'm sure I could have had an absolutely amazing time, but it was all for me about, you know, being ready for the gig. And yes, we did go out and get hammered and have a great time. But what we tended to do was to make sure that there wasn't a gig the next night, you know, because <laughs> you have to let your hair down a bit. You have to kind of, you know, and, and, and I just think everything in moderation was great. But I've seen a definite uh, sea change in, in younger musicians now. And, you know, it, uh, being out your head, alcohol and drugs, it, I think it's much. It's not. It's not. It's it's frowned upon nowadays. Mm, with, yeah. So young musicians, and that's a that's a really really good thing. Yeah, mm. I think people forget that there's punters turning up that might never have seen you play, mm -hmm. and they are the reason. You're the reason they're there. Totally. You know. So if you if you can't walk, it's a job. And, yeah. and we've all, 
we've all been to embarrassing gigs. We've all been there. And, you know, and, and, and that was one of the things that it was quite, um, you know, quite sort of military in, in some ways, that whole thing working with Paul and knowing when it was like a night off and, you know, it's a day off. So I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to go swimming. You know, I'm going to give me ears a rest. And, and then just still enjoying it, you know, going out in Chicago and, and, and going to meet Steve Maxwell in 2001 and, and going out for a curry. And, you know, and I've, I mean, I've been privileged enough to, all over the world to eat in some of the best restaurants and be, have some of the greatest experiences. But, you know, still be here and not kind of having to uh, go, oh, you know, I, I, I can't do it anymore. And, yeah. and mm -hmm. you know, and, and I do, I, I praise anybody that recognizes that they've got a problem and goes and gets help for it. And then, you know, begins to live a life clear of the fog without alcohol, without drugs. I mean, Matt Dayton, who I love and work with, I mean, he's, he's very, um, you know, vocal in, in his um, support for the help that he got and, and his sobriety. And, and I know lots of people like that. And, I don't have a, I don't have an issue with it. It's like if somebody doesn't mind me having a glass of wine, but if somebody says, you know what, I'd really rather you didn't, I'm fine. Doesn't yeah. bother me. Yeah. I mean, and the other thing is, you're never going to be the guy that has to apologise, or you, and you make. I mean, you've made friends all over the world, so you can go to Chicago now and have dinner with with mm -hmm. with, with people pets, that yeah. you met 20 years ago because you're not a nutcase. Yeah. One of one of my closest and dearest friends is um, a, a young lady by the name of Sherry Levy, and I met her when I was 17, just, 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 just turned 18 in the Style Council, and she was 15. And I was being kind of chatted up by a lady that was in her late 30s who didn't seem to be all there, if you know. Yeah. I was getting a bit kind of worried. And this very lovely young New Yorker grabbed me and said, hey, let's go. And I went, oh, right, okay, let's go. And she went, she's not right. And I went, no, she really isn't right. And we became friends and, and, and we are still friends, you know, 40 odd years later. And she's still in Brooklyn and, and, you know, she came over to, for my wedding. And, and I'm lucky. I've got friends like that all over the world. Um, you know, I've got friends in China, I've got friends in Japan, I've got friends in Italy, and, and I've embraced that global village. And that's why I kind of, you know, I'm very unhappy about what's going on in the UK at the moment, because we're, we're, we're becoming insular and, and there's a potential that the, the, the actual, we might split up, you know, the, the, the union might be split up. And I don't blame, you know, I don't blame Scotland if they say, no, look, we don't want to be run by, I know there's issues, but, you know, whatever you think of who's in charge up there. We could not possibly have a worse leader than we, <laughs> we can't. You know, even for a Tory, uh, you know, an ardent Tory, you can't be watching that guy thinking, oh, he's doing a great job, because yeah. he, he isn't. And what we've also got to realise now is we've got the massive smack in the face of Brexit coming, you know. Mm. So with this kind of, my thing has always been of, of the global village, of going around the world and people loving, uh, you know, your English accent and loving the music and talking about, yeah, have you ever met Ringo? Have you, have you, <laughs> do you like The Who? And, you know, and, and where'd you come from? I love London and all that kind of stuff. Now we're being looked at as idiots we're being mm. looked at with disdain you know a little bit of disdain and you know we can't seem to go to a football tournament without causing trouble you know that's the english not the, not the scots but um it you know it just makes me kind of a bit sad you know it, mm. this is not the way i i thought it would go i, I really didn't yeah it's a shame there's a bit of an arrogance about it all yeah, well, it's, 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 it's an elitist thing. And one of the things I've done in, in, in lockdown is I've read a lot. I read a lot about 
English history. And English, and eventually, obviously, British history, but English history is absolutely littered with entitled people that have no right to be ruling yeah. and people that are supporting them or trying to bring them down. Very rarely do you get mention of the working class. It's always about the kingmaker or the king taker or the crown maker and the crown taker. And there's so much information about our the the, 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 the weird lineage of our royalty and all the people that eventually have become the aristocracy, have become the establishment. And at one point, we should have kicked them all out. We should have started again. But we haven't. And we're seeing a thousand years of arrogance and entitlement personified. Well, what what was interesting about all that is that the working class proved how valuable they are because they held up the entire bloody country for three months, mm-hmm. taking a taking abuse, taking hell, just to go to work and so you can get your groceries. Mm-hmm. I say I I said that you know and and I know that you know supermarkets are at the end of the day they are businesses and they have shareholders, but you know if it wasn't for all of the supermarkets not getting their act together very early on in this in, in this situation, there would have been civil unrest. And, mm-hmm. and that was way beyond the government. And then, you know, the way people have, have been reacting, people that, you know, just general people, when I go out now, everybody says good morning, everybody actually speaks to you. Yeah. But the train is kind of, is it's off the tracks and running down the side of the mountain now because it, we're very polite. You know, it, it's like, um, is this, is this mm. Brexit? You know, even if you support it and support the process and say, well, we voted out, we're going out, fine. But in the current circumstances, to actually say, should we maybe not coincide it with a potential second wave of COVID? Would it matter if we delayed it and spoke to Europe and said, maybe we could do it next summer, you know, when we're all in a little bit of less choppy waters? But no. No, it's not because, oh, well, you know, they know what they're doing and, you know, and we can't say anything. But, you know, your dog has a, your dog has a pee outside their house and they're shouting at you. But, <laughs> you know, no, well, you know, let's not, let's just hope that it all goes away, you know. Yeah. It's just fine. Have you ever, you write music, eh? I, I write lyrics and I have, um, I understand basic chords and things like that. And I can sing passages and, and, and I'm working with Hagen White. We are splitting everything three ways as, as, um, as write the writing process. We're just kind of sharing it because um, it's just proving to be really constructive to do it like that. You know, mm-hmm. Paul, Working with Paul, he's the complete deal as a songwriter, and and he gave me a lot of freedom uh, to to uh, contribute my parts. And but he's the songwriter. You're working for a songwriter, mm-hmm. and you respect that. But with this situation, and you know, it is hard to to um, to call yourself a songwriter when you've worked with Paul Weller for so long. And, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. so so I was very aware of that. But yeah, I mean, I, I write lyrics, um, which I really enjoy. I've written some lyrics for a project that I've done with uh, Matt Dayton, and I'm, I'm quite into that idea. And also my musical ideas, um, like with, in terms of structure, like with the new single that we've got coming out next month, which I think is a, a really great little three and a half minutes of good pop music. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was able to say, well, I think we should get to the bridge a bit quicker or maybe we should make the intro a bit like um, a bit shorter. Mm-hmm. Let's get to the bridge there. And, you know, because that's that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and I can offer sort of suggestions for like lines and for backing vocals and things like that. So, you know, but I do consider um, that's the musician in me. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say writer as in, in the likes of some of the people that I've worked with. It doesn't work like that. Chris and Joel are really good writers, but they appreciate what I'm putting in as a musician. And I, I like that idea. I like, you know, the Chili Peppers do that. 
is everything goes into the pot and they split it four ways. You too do that, which yeah. is quite interesting for, you know, bands that have actually managed to stay together for mm. that amount of time. There's got to be something in it. So yeah. with the Hagen White thing, and, and when you think that you're on an equal par with everybody else, I think you work harder. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it lets it's drummers, more enjoyable as well. Yeah, isn't it lets drummers be valued in a different way. You're not you're not just stuck at the back. Like, mm. oh, just just play something. No, and it's it's a really you know it is a really interesting thing because obviously now we're getting more into the idea of of um, you know uh, I mean you look at the Beatles credits it was Lennon McCartney and then there might be a George one and then eventually there might be a Ringo one mm-hmm. and you know possibly for them in hindsight what do I know but you know it might have worked out differently if they'd have just kind of split it you know but that wasn't the way things were done back then you always had you're the writers you know you write the tunes and they play the drums and and i see that more and more now with younger bands where they just split everything and i think that you know so you know they they can split that 1.42 pounds between (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know i see it all getting split and i and i think that's uh i think that's kind of a much healthier way if you can work like that yeah for sure man sure. For sure. so obviously we're kind of jumping back and forth here but um i was just wondering if you had i mean i'm sure there's loads of them but i'm sure if there's one particular moment in your career that you could kind of pick out as like a oh wow this is amazing kind of moment, moment. You, you, you're right. I've got many. I mean, doing live aid and, and you know, and some of the some of the tours like you know that I did with Paul, where we played at Glastonbury in 1994, and you know, every you know, 120,000 people were singing Wildwood, and and doing tour hurt and worker to just after um, we did live aid when there was I think nearly 200,000 people in the in in the field in Belgium. Oh, can you imagine that many people? No, like, just that's in... incredible. Yeah. And then uh, something that came up recently was the fact that um, the recent sort of anniversary of, of the Hiroshima bombing, well, we were there on the 30, 35th anniversary playing in Hiroshima and uh, wow. playing a, a beautiful, um, um, a, 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 like a, a beautiful hall there, a concert hall, seven and a half, eight thousand. We were doing three, four nights there. And I remember Paul on the, on the actual anniversary sending our interpreter out to ask everybody if in memory of the people that had died in the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings, if everybody would mind standing for a minute's silence and to see seven, eight thousand people just stand silently Mm. was just incredible and so emotional then we played and you know so there were lots and lots of things like that and then there were sort of events that were um you know like we'd, we'd been on a bus for 12 hours and we'd all got the the, the, the lurgy and, and feeling like crap and you know uh, hanging out the hanging out the paracetamols and and the, 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 <laughs> the neurofen and and getting off the bus and thinking oh god and there's maybe 200 people and it's, uh, you know, a small town in Switzerland on a Friday night and, mm. and you just have the most amazing gig, you know, it, <laughs> you know, so I, I kind of always felt right. The, the next gig could be your last. Let, let's enjoy it like that. Mm. So yeah, there are, there was the big ones, you know, the, and, and some of the tours, you know, just wonderful tours. I, I loved going to Australia the one time that we went and some of the European tours that we did were just spectacular. Um, obviously you've got things like the live, live a, you know, which was quite a, you know, it was, was a, a very significant event um, in terms of the, the music world, but was a very fleeting thing for, for me and Damon. We, we kind of went in to a rehearsal room. We played the tunes that we were asked to learn twice or once. And then the next time we did them was on stage at, uh, at Hyde Park, you know. That's bonkers. Yeah, and that was bonkers because that actually, uh, you know, 
I felt a little bit out of control on that. It was like a bit like, shh, you know, I, I would have liked maybe a day's rehearsal, you know. Mm. And, 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 you know, I am somebody that likes to rehearse. I like to make sure that everything's sorted. I know where my spare snare drum is and, mm -hmm. you know, and, I, and the cheat sheets are all gone. So, yeah, that was pretty nervous, um, pretty nerve-wracking, but an amazing thing, you know, to, to say that you were part of because these things are now very rapidly sort of disappearing into the past, you know, and somebody, uh, my friend James Sharp sent me a, a, a little poster today of a clinic that we were doing for him um, with, with Craig Blundell, at the, and it was eight years ago, and it was like, that's nine years ago, is it? And you're like, yeah, it was, you know, and you kind of go, geez, you know, and so you can't um, you, you can't sort of deny the passage of time. You, you really can't. And uh, so my sort of philosophy now is I want to do as much as I can while I'm still really, really enjoying it. And I am loving it now. I've, I've really had this opportunity, luckily, because I've got my little drum room um, to to really look at my technique and what I want to do with it and and look at the motion and and be the drummer that I the best drummer that I can be at 55 you know yeah. and I, I'm a great fan of Steve Smith um he, he really is a, a an inspiration to me in terms of the way he plays the musicality um the knowledge the intelligence that he brings to the drums and I'm and, and I do find that very inspiring um you know I'm I'm still massively into my vintage snare drums and, and <laughs> working on my hands in terms of um you know I, i've been doing some alex duthart stuff over oh. the yeah over the lockdown and watching people like stephen shedden and jim kilpatrick mm -hmm. yeah wow like that and klaus hessler and you know then going on to the charlie wilcox and stuff and and you know watching you know the people that really inspire me and i mentioned keith carlock i mentioned craig uh stanton moore who i absolutely love um you know steve and and it's great. I think, it, you know, I've never been more enthused and well, I'm still as enthused about it, but um, I really feel like I've got a, a sense of purpose. I'm loving working with the Hagen White thing. We've got the, the platform now and to, to get some new music out. And it's just like for me, it's just like, bring it on. I, I, I want to do as much as I can. Where can people find all that stuff? Uh, well, the, the Hagen White stuff, uh, the new there's there's an album. If you go onto um, the, the the streaming sites and just put Hagen White in, you'll hear the album, um, the Eleventh Hour, which I, I think is a one of the best things I've done in ages. Um, I've got um, you know everything's up on my kind of Spotify list. If anyone wants to just check in, there's a thing called Mr White on Drums, which is my mm -hmm. Uh, and, and then I've got uh, Weller and Whitey, which is all the stuff that I did for, with Paul. I mean, I can forward you the links if, if, if you're interested, but yeah, it's sure. basically all, all of the stuff that I did with Paul, which is about 340 songs, and then all the stuff that I did, uh, I've done that wasn't with Paul, and that's about another 350 songs. So, And it's being added to all the time. So, um, you know, the Jazz Renegades is being uh, re-released digitally, and and um, the... Uh, players is, is being re-released oh, wow. yeah, yeah. so yeah. that's all kind of happening so you know so i am trying to collate it all and, and we have a new website that we are real movement music uh, but i think next week because we're doing this uh, sky event for the the documentary we're going to trailer um the uh, the single in it with a little teaser and you know a, a link to to be able to, to 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 download it we've got a full video um which i think will be up on my youtube channel next week so mm -hmm. between whitey drums or uh, my youtube channel the info's kind of there and i and i do try to keep it as updated as possible cool fantastic steve that's um, awesome steve that's been amazing man yeah. it's like an hour of just pure joy it's just mm -hmm. absolute pleasure <laughs> 
I've got to cook now, so because the twins went back to school today, so they're they're all a bit, you know, bit bit grumpy. So <laughs> my, wife, my wife's been working away. She's been doing a a, a, um, a, a, a documentary for Channel Five, so it's been quite a busy uh, a busy week. But so I'm doing my other thing tonight. I'm I'm in the kitchen, you know, one of my other hobbies. So brilliant. It's steak tagliata tonight. Oh, well, lovely. And if you can get it shipped to Glasgow as quickly as possible. Yeah. I was just going to say, do you want to just head down just uh, now? Yeah. No, I've got, I've got, a, I've got, I've got a, an extra glass, an extra bottle of wine if you can make it. Brilliant. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, mate. And um, we hope to ca- hope to catch you soon. Yes, so, absolutely. It will happen. We'll just keep talking. It will happen. And I'm coming. I, I really want to, I'm, I'm really gagging to get out, <laughs> get out around the UK. You know, yeah. I, you know, forget who's in charge. I love the people of this country. There's a lot of amazing cities, and you know, being where I live is is great, and it's been fantastic. And but I'm I'm missing, you know, I went up to Manchester and I've been to Sheffield, and you know, I'm missing I'm missing all that. I'm missing the regional um, idiosyncrasies, and I'm missing, you know, I'm missing wandering around our great country. So very soon, as soon as I can. Brilliant, mate. Take care. Take Cheers, care. Lost love. You all too. Cheers, mate. Bye bye.